The following audio is from Christian Heritage Church. More information about Christian Heritage Church is available at chctoday.com. You know, when uh, Peter is writing, he says that God is not willing that anyone should perish. And what does it say? He wants everyone to come to what? To repentance. And then, of course, Paul says, as he writes to the Romans, he says, how can people believe if they've never heard of this man, Jesus? And how can they hear unless someone goes to where they're at and explains and teaches and preaches? And how can someone go and preach and teach and shine that light on Jesus if there are not people willing to send those preachers to go to those faraway places. And that's what missions is all about. It starts with the heart of God. God is not willing that any should perish. Can you say that with me? God is not willing that any should perish. Isn't it awesome that God is so generous with us? Can you believe how much God trusts us? He entrusts his mission to us. He didn't just stay and say, well, I can't trust these people. I'm going to do it all myself. Instead, he said, I am going to trust. I am going to send my empowering Holy Spirit. And they are going to take this message to the ends of the earth. How many of you are grateful that we get to be a part of God's great mission? Amen. And we organize our lives and our finances and our priorities and our families and our church and our programming and everything so that we can be involved in God's great mission. We are his allies, are we not? Awesome. It is just so great to be here and to be able to share the fact that God has called my wife and me to be allies together with you and together with him to reach men and boys all around the world. And uh, so good to be here. Thank you, Pastor Steve and Yvonne, uh, for this opportunity to be here this morning. Uh, I have known uh, Steve for a very, very long time. Uh, he made mention to the fact that, um, uh, you know, my parents are missionaries. We would itinerate. And uh, everywhere we would go, of course, we'd cross paths. And I think the first time I met Steve as uh, a missionary was when you were in Ark City, if I'm not mistaken. And uh, I tell you what, wherever I go in Kansas and beyond, I meet people that have been impacted by his ministry and leaders that he has raised up. You guys know that you have an incredible gift in this great couple. Amen. Would you just express your appreciation and love to them? I won't take the time to share it this morning, but uh, Steve is, uh, I was, we, we were just reminiscing uh, before coming out. Uh, Pastor Steve is one of the few people that has been on a missions trip with me uh, and been bitten by a snake. So you can ask him about that at some point, but uh, <laughs> uh, we have a camp in Costa Rica and a long, long story, but uh, he was bitten by a snake and we didn't realize it at the time. So, uh, uh, but God is good. He's fine, as you can tell. <laughs> and, uh, and so uh, I was raised as a missionary kid. How many of you have ever met a live missionary kid? Okay. Uh, my mom and dad were missionaries. Uh, they were pioneer missionaries in Peru. When they arrived in Peru, there were no Assemblies of God missionaries in the province that God called them to. There were some in other provinces, but the province where they went, there were no evangelical churches whatsoever. They arrived. The first convert later became the first pastor of the church. 
And uh, they spent 16 years there and raised up 16 churches. Those 16 churches today number over 400 churches and preaching points in that province and the neighboring provinces around it. So God has been faithful. But one of the things that uh, always happened when uh, uh, I was uh, growing up in Peru uh, was that I had a morning tradition. We were homeschooled, uh, had a morning tradition. We would go into my dad's office. I would go in uh, at 10 o'clock in the morning. I'd have a glass of Coke for myself and a glass of Coke for my dad. I'd knock on the door of his office. My dad is from England and he's very, very formal. Uh, On his day off, he loses the tie but keeps the jacket. And that is no joke. And so very, very formal. So he would open up the door and he would greet me very formally. And I would walk in with a glass of Coke for each of us. And he would pull out from behind the books in the bookshelf, uh, Peruvian made M&Ms. They were just like the M&Ms that you're accustomed to eating. The only difference is they do melt in your hand. Very good though. So at 10 o'clock every morning, go in and we'd have what we call a think pill session. How many of you know Coke and chocolate can solve any problem? The only thing I, that's right, absolutely. The only two things I've added as I have grown and matured is coffee. Do I have a witness? And an afternoon nap. (laughs) Those four things can pretty much solve everything. So at 10 o'clock every morning, I'd go in, sit down. We would have M&Ms, proving made M&Ms and drink Coke together. Well, one morning I went in and my dad was not his formal self. He was so excited. He says, Doug, come in and sit down over here quick. And I go over there and and he was so excited. He says, no, 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 don't sit down over there. Come over here and sit on my lap. And so he is sitting in his chair and uh, he come, he says, come over and sit on my lap. So I run over and, and I sit on his lap and he says, open the desk drawer. And so I open the desk drawer and I see that there's an envelope and he says, grab that envelope. So I pull out that envelope and it has my name on it. How many of you could remember the very first piece of mail you ever received in your life? It was addressed to me. It was from this faraway publishing house in Springfield, Missouri called Gospel Publishing House. I ripped it open. And inside it, there was this pamphlet. How many of you know five and six-year-olds don't read anything? Unless you color it, you just don't read it. And so I threw that down, and there was this beautifully embroidered Royal Rangers emblem. And I know you all are very familiar with Royal Rangers because this past January, you launched this Royal Rangers ministry, a mentoring program for boys and young men here in your church. And I just want to give a shout out to all of the men involved and any of the men that aren't involved. You can get involved with your sons, and we'll talk more about it. But um, this beautifully embroidered Royal Rangers emblem, and, and I grabbed that thing. And I jumped off my dad's lap, forgot about the Coke, forgot about the chocolate, ran out of his office thinking that I had just received a new gift. And my dad is running after me and he grabs me by the shirt tail and says, Doug, you can't just have the Royal Rangers emblem. You have to memorize its meaning. And so sure enough, Coke and chocolate over the next couple of weeks helped me memorize the meaning of the Royal Rangers emblem, the four ways that Jesus grew Jesus grew physically, mentally, socially, and spiritually, according to Luke 2.52. I memorized what that meant. Those are the four golden points. The four red points represent the four cardinal doctrines of the church. We all believe in salvation through Jesus Christ alone. Amen. We believe that he is coming back soon. Amen. We believe that he is our sanctifier and our healer. How many can say amen? And so the four cardinal doctrines of the church and then the eight blue points which represent the character of Jesus Christ. How many of you know that uh, there is a true definition of manhood? It's not defined by men either. It's defined by God. You see, being a true man is becoming like Jesus Christ. You want to know what it is to be a true woman? 
is to become like Jesus Christ. The definition is the same. And the eight points represent the character of Jesus Christ. He was alert. Physically, spiritually, and mentally alert. Can I get a witness? He was clean in body, mind, and speech. Uh, honest and courageous and loyal and courteous and obedient and spiritual. Let me tell you, these are the qualities that we try to instill in young men as fathers and as men in the church, a profile of the character of Jesus Christ. And so I learned the meaning of that, and my dad, a couple weeks later at our family altar time, uh, he proudly pinned that patch on my shirt. And I want to tell you something that In that moment when my dad got up after we had finished reading the Bible and he pinned that that patch on my shirt, and I know he put it in the wrong place. (laughs) Those of you who are wearing your uniform know this morning, it's important to get those patches in the right place. Otherwise, you get shouted at, don't you? (laughs) And I know he put it in the wrong place, but nonetheless, something happened in my heart that was right on. I knew that I knew that I knew in that moment that God had called me to be a missionary. I just saw earlier in this section over here all your children and grandchildren. And maybe some of the kids that you're bringing with you from your your neighborhood. Let me tell you, God can speak to them at a very early age if we invest in them. So I congratulate everyone that's investing in the next generation. We get what we invest in. If you don't sow in them, you're not going to reap a harvest at all. Amen? And that's what parenting is about. And that's what this body of believers is about. And, and in that moment, God said, you're going to be a Royal Rangers missionary. And I, I'm not going to take the time to tell you my whole story, but I just want you to know that in that moment, I knew that God wanted me to go around the world and reach boys for Jesus Christ. And that's what I've been doing. And so it's just been an incredible privilege. You see, today's boy is tomorrow's man. And the best time to raise up a man is while he's still a boy. And so that's what we are doing all around the world. So how do you do this? There's two things we do. Number one, we invest in dads. Because God's plan for investing in the next generation starts with dad at home. The second thing we do is we invest in the broad community of men because these are the two things that are required in order to raise godly men. And the same is true if we want to raise godly women. We need godly husbands and and wives. Amen? And we need a community of women. You see, the Bible made man and woman. The Bible tells us that God made Adam in the image of God as a man. And he made Eve in the image of God as a woman. The Bible believes in the fact that there are differences. I was in Chile once and I was doing a message on, on uh, uh, gender uh, ministry, gender-specific ministry, and a woman was very angry with me. She did not like the fact that, that I was speaking in this way. And she came up to me and she shook my hand afterwards and she says, No hay diferencia. No hay diferencia. How many of you understand what I'm just saying? There is no difference. And I wanted to say, You're right because you're about to break my hand and I, <laughs> I'm convinced now there is no difference. But God ministers to men and women differently and he uses them uniquely and we need to minister in a gender-specific way. It's not the only thing we do, but it's certainly a vitally important part. And if you don't believe me, just you've got to wonder why the world is trying to mess with gender identity so much. If it wasn't important to God, the devil wouldn't be after it. So what we're talking about here is something that the Bible calls us to do, and that's what we're doing, because today's boy is tomorrow's man, and the kind of families that we're going to have in the future are largely determined by these young men. 
the kind of homes they lead, the kind of churches they build, the kind of businesses they lead, the kind of influence they exercise in their communities starts with where they are today as boys, as future men. Amen? And that's what we do. So literally all around the world, we have raised up the Royal Rangers ministry now in 92 nations around the world. There are 192 nations, according to the UN, and that number shifts a little bit. And then there's another 20 to 30 uh, sovereign provinces, and our mission is to establish the Royal Rangers ministry in every single one of these nations and sovereign territories. How many of you can believe that God would help us do this? So we're believing God that he would help us get into every nation, into every single church in those nations, and into every single one of those families so that we can minister to more boys. And that's our mission, to build up fathers and to build up the community of men in the church. Amen? And that's what, uh, that's what God has called us to do. So this morning, rather than spend a great deal of time explaining what we do, what I'm going to do is just demonstrate. Can I do that? So we're going to uh, turn to a, one of my favorite verses, uh, Mark chapter 3 and verse 14. And we'll jump into the message this morning. And I know on the back side of your bulletin, you have the three uh, points that we're going to cover this morning very briefly. And so we're going to talk this morning primarily to fathers, but this isn't just for fathers. And we're going to talk primarily about ministry to boys and young men, but we will try to get them around to uh, apply this to uh, our daughters as well. How many of you have daughters that you love? I have a son. He just started college. Uh, you need to pray for me. And my, why, uh, my daughter will start college next year, so you're going to have to doubly pray for me. You have a prayer card that you received. And uh, so if you would just take that and put it in your Bible someplace and remember to pray for us, I uh, would so much appreciate it. Mark chapter 3 and verse 14, while you finish looking for that, let me just mention this morning, uh, I am excited because I'm in the last about six to eight weeks of what we call in missionary circles, itineration, which is when we are in an itinerant mode, moving from church to church to church, raising our budget. And so I'm in the last uh, season of that. Uh, still have about $850 in monthly support to raise, and I need $14,000 in cash. And the monthly uh, support is to cover ongoing budget expenses, the cash to cover one-time expenses. And so that's the reason there's a monthly budget and a cash budget. And then we're also uh, looking for teams who might want to go to Costa Rica. We have, I made reference to the place where Pastor Dow was snake bitten. Uh, like the Apostle Paul, you didn't know you had someone that was so uh, biblically inclined, did you? Uh, <laughs> and uh, so uh, we have a camp in Costa Rica, about 80 acres. It's beautiful, and we're looking to start building the gymnasium. We'd love to invite you to be a part of that project. So uh, please pray with us this morning that the Lord would help us achieve uh, these goals. Amen? Praise the Lord. Why don't you stand just to get a change of position, and we'll uh, stand in reverence to the word of the Lord. It's on your screen and in your Bible. I'm reading from the ESV this morning, Mark chapter 3 and verse 14. It's speaking of Jesus. It says that he appointed 12 and he also gave them this title of apostle. And he did it according to this verse for two reasons. First, that they might be with him. And then secondly, it says that he might send them out to preach. Would you bow your head with me and let's pray. Heavenly Father, this morning, I pray that you would just help us as we turn to your word to uh, glean from this how to best invest in our sons. We love our sons. We want to mentor tomorrow's man today. 
and help us to learn from you. You are the Father, and you are the one that says you will be the Father to the fatherless. So help us today to mentor and disciple our boys and our daughters so that they can be the men and the women that you have called them to be. Help us invest strategically and effectively, both as families and also as a body together. I pray in the name of Jesus. And everyone said, amen. You may be seated. So how to mentor tomorrow's man today. Three things. You see them in your outline. We're going to move through these as quickly as I possibly can. The first is, right there in your your notes, that you play together. The first thing you have to do if you want to really invest in your son is you have to learn to do things together. And you, you might say, well, why is this so important? It doesn't sound real spiritual. What's the leap between, you know, Mark chapter 3 and verse 14 where it says Jesus appoints these 12 that they might be with him. You see, that's the first thing Jesus understood. He was a leader of men. And Jesus knew if he's going to raise these men up to be the men that God had called them to be, to be the spiritual influence, he knew first and foremost, he had to call these men to be with him. How many of you know that's our first call? When we respond to the gospel and we say, yes, Jesus, be my Lord and my Savior, the first thing we're agreeing to is to be with Jesus. Because that's how he shapes us and forms us. And this is also true when we speak of our sons. If we want our boys to become the men that God has designed them to be, we have to be with them. You see, masculinity is not taught. Masculinity is bestowed. It is given. It's a mantle that you place on them. But it's not something we just do in a ceremony where you take a sword and you, and you, you, you dub them a, a man. That's the culmination, if you will. That uh, dubbing them a man is the culmination of a journey. And what does this journey look like? Because to really shape boys to be the men that God has called them to be requires that they be with dad, that they be with men. And Jesus understood this. So if you want to raise your, your son, whether you have one today or you, you plan to have one or if you have grandsons, the way we, we influence them is we play together. You see, a boy's play is his work. That's his occupation. And we cannot underemphasize uh, how important it is that we play together with our son. I, I'll never forget with my own dad. And, and we all have these stories and we all have these memories, do we not? Uh, I remember my dad, you know, he'd get down on his, on his hands and knees, you know, in, in, uh, uh, in the living room. And I, oh, that was just, that was Invitation City. How many of you remember, right? And then he'd... <laughs> <laughs> right? How many of you have done this? You've been on your dad and he, you know, and my dad had the sound effects all down and he had a track, you know, he'd go all around the living room. And, and then, of course, the, the horsey would get tired and his front leg would break and boom, all I had come flopping off, you know, onto the couch. How many of you remember? This is part of, of just playing together. And, and the play changes through the years, but, but this is the way boys socialize. This is the way masculinity is bestowed because it starts with this play where the boy begins to see dad is so strong. I can ride on his shoulders. Dad's hair, his face is so whiskery. And some of you, it's really hairy. And, and, uh, and, and so, you know, this is, this, a boy gauges his whole development process against dad. Dad's his comparison. Well, I'm not, I don't really have any hair on my chest yet, but there's a little fuzz there, mom. Look. <laughs> 
How many of you remember? You've all, all of us men, we don't admit it anymore. But we remember, look, I got a little hair coming out of my chin. And we gauge this because, but you have to be in the presence of men because a boy's play is his work. And in this process, he becomes a man. You see, men and women, or boys and girls more specifically, develop relationships different. And I'm going to take a huge risk this morning and try to explain the difference between how boys develop relationship and girls develop relationship, and women with women and men with men, all right? This is a huge risk, but I'm going to try it, because I'm going to try to explain how women develop relationships. You can start praying right now. So the way I'm told this works, ladies, you, I, you've got to encourage me if I'm getting this right. Just start nodding if I'm getting it right, because otherwise I'm really going to start sweating. I'm told that two women will meet and one will decide to share a little bit about herself. It's a little bit of a risk, not a huge risk, because she's not sharing something real close, real intimate, but she'll share something. It's a small risk, and if the other lady reciprocates, she'll risk and share something back. And then it's like this tennis match. Where one shares a little more and the other shares a little more. I'm really starting to sweat, ladies. Am I getting this right? And there's kind of this back and forth, but it's conversation-based. It's what uh, we call face-to-face relationship building. And this is how women, I'm told, develop relationship. It's face-to-face. It's conversation-based. Whereas with men, it's not face-to-face. And it's not conversation-based. It's more what we would call side-by-side. And it's competitive in nature. So we start by doing things together. Hey, I'm going to go hang out. You want to go with me? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and th- I mean, this is why my dad and this is why I with my son when he was small. Hey, I'm going to go run some errands. You want to hang with me? Yeah. You know, so we do things together. Hey, you want to play some hoops? I'm going to beat you at horse. So we go out and play. And, and while we're playing, uh, uh, we're, we're, we're barbing each other. How many of you know what I'm talking about? Man, you're a woman. You don't know how to play. You know, and we start barbing each other. And, and the conversation happens But at the beginning, it's very superficial. And over a period of time, confidence is built between men or men and boys. And after a period of time, there's actual conversation that takes place. But at the beginning, it's usually grunts. It's usually put downs. It's usually competitive in nature. And and so it's side by side for men and boys. And it's face to face for women. And so this is how relationship is built. So it's important as fathers that we learn to invite our son into our life by way of activity. What do you enjoy doing? What does your son enjoy doing? And that's really the more important question because if, if golf is your thing and your son comes to develop a hate for golf, then it's okay for you to golf and it's okay for you to invite him to golf, but it probably won't be the primary thing. You know, I just remember growing up in Peru and Bolivia, uh, my dad loved to fish. One of our favorite stories on my dad we like to tell is uh, we went early on a Sunday morning uh, uh, to pick up some, some of uh, the Bible school students who were uh, pioneering a church. And we were going to take those uh, two guys with us and we were going to go to another area, uh, not too far away, but if they had to walk it, it would take them a very long time. So we offered to swing by in our, in our pickup truck and we had a camper on the top. So uh, we, we, start, we pick them up and we start going to this place. And my dad drives by this river and sees these fish jumping. 
And in Peru, there were a lot of trout in these fishes. It was way high in the mountains, and fish are jumping. My dad totally lost his mind, forgot it was Sunday morning, forgot the two passengers next to him actually needed to go with him to church that morning. So we all stopped. We grabbed our fishing rods. I mean, this happened so fast that none of us really had time to really process what we were really doing because my dad saw fish, and that's, it was it. It was over. But my dad loved to fish. And I'll just never forget. I mean, I have fished for trout my whole life. I remember standing at a lake in, in California, and we fished, and we fished, and we fished. And nobody caught anything. And all of a sudden, I was tired. I was bored. I had been bored for hours. And I had just thrown the line in there, and I was just on a rock. I was just, it was a big, long rock, and I was over this lake, and I was just going back and forth with it. Just, I mean, this is not called fishing. This is called boredom. All of a sudden, and I was the only one that caught a fish. I was so proud of myself. You see, invite your son into these activities because all of these times that you spend with your son doing these things, there's several things that are happening that are vitally important. It seems like it's just play, but the reality is it's play with a purpose. You see, because here's what's happening. In the process, you're, number one, building relationship. Because play is how boys build relationships. Again, it's side by side. In that process, there's competition. The boy is gauging himself and his strength and his development against dad. And, and so all of this relationship is happening. But there's something even more profound. He is developing confidence. And at the root of it, that's what manhood is. It's a confidence because, you see, boys have a fundamental question that they're asking. You want to know what that question is? It's a question that he asks from the earliest stages of his development. He doesn't know how to articulate the question. And most men ask this question their entire life without ever knowing how to articulate it either. But if we can summarize the question and bring it down and boil it down to its, to its basic, basic uh, fundamentals, the question is, do I have what it takes to be a man? So a boy is asking, do I have what it takes to be a man? And the way he comes to an answer of yes is when he is with dad, when he's with other men, and he's coming to understand that I do have what it takes. And so he's building relationships, that confidence is coming through the relationships, and then he's doing these things, he's fishing, and he's getting fish. I mean, this develops his manhood. He gets confidence. I'll never forget, uh, Pastor Dow mentioned uh, that we graduated both from Central Bible College, and uh, I'll never forget when I was a student, at CBC, uh, that first year, uh, I had, or second year, I had just met my uh, wife, though we, uh, you, you get it, we weren't wife at that time, but we met, uh, I loved her, I was crazy for her, she was crazy about me, um, and shortly after the school year started, there was this thing, I don't know if they did it when you were there, but Spencer Spree weekend, it was the weekend that the girls can invite the guys out. Today, that's not even a weekend because the girls do it all the time. Back then, things were different. So she and her sweet mate decided to invite their respective boy out. So uh, her name was Shanna. Shanna invited her boy out, and I forget his name. But uh, we we went over to Doling Park, not far from Central Bible College. And uh, we get there, and they have this stick for each of us. It's about three, four foot long. uh, A whole bunch of fishing line and two hooks. And they said... We don't know what we're going to do for dinner unless you can go catch some dinner. So go down to the pond and catch us some dinner. So I was like, okay. So we each grabbed our stick. We took some fishing line, took the two hooks that we had. He took a hook. I took a hook. And 30 minutes later, we came back with fish. 
you should have seen those two girls. I mean, they, they were like, what? <laughs> I was so proud of myself. So we began to fillet the fish, and they were like, we weren't really planning on you catching anything. We actually have meat here. So, oh, really? So, but we can't get the fire started. I was like, oh, really? Well, I can help you get the fire started. A few minutes later, I have a fire going. And then they grab the meat and they throw it up on the grill. Well, her dad, Shina's dad, is a Kansas uh, um, a farmer. And he, and he had just butchered a cow and had given her a big old slab of meat, like about this big around. How many of you know that's going to take a few, few days to cook, right? And so I'm looking at him like, you know, that's really not going to cook. So anyway, long story short is uh, all we had was my pocket knife. I pull it out. I filleted that fish up into a bunch of different pieces, and we're grilling. Well, we have wasted so much time with the fire, with the, getting the meat ready. Now it's dark. And then we're like, oh, man, we can't even enjoy it because it's dark. So well, I happened to have a flashlight in my car. Went and grabbed the flashlight, took some of the fishing line. We hung that line down from over the top of the, the gazebo where we were at and over the uh, table that was under there. And, and before long, we have a nice semi-candlelight dinner, you know, it's rare romantic, uh, we're eating steak, uh, fish, uh, we have a fire over here, uh, I mean, they started calling me MacGyver, I, I felt so good, now you young people don't know who MacGyver is, but you can ask someone later, I, I mean, I, I was just feeling so big and so good, confidence, I'll never forget when, uh, you know, growing up overseas, I never hunted, uh, my dad had an aversion to guns, um, all I had really ever an opportunity to shoot was a BB gun, uh, but it was illegal for us as foreigners to have rifles, and so never touched them. So when I came back after serving for nine years in Costa Rica and came back in 2002 to the United States uh, to start Royal Rangers International, I, I just determined, you know, I, I'm going to be the all-American man. Uh, you know, I'm going to second right, second amendment, you know, my rights to you know, bear arms, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get over this, this fear I have of rifles and handguns, and so uh, I, I took all the hunter safety classes, and I got into hunting, and of course, Steve and I have talked a lot about uh, pheasant hunting, which I don't have any idea how you do that down here. Uh, <laughs> you don't, huh? <laughs> but uh, I took up hunting, and man, I was enjoying it so much. Well, my son, John, uh, of course, is watching dad go out hunting every now and then, and so he, uh, he learns that there's this thing called youth hunt in Missouri. So we looked it up, and sure enough, there's this thing called youth hunt. So we marked it on the calendar. I blocked the weekend out. Uh, several weeks before, we went out and, and, and studied the area we would hunt, and, and uh, it seemed like there would be a good chance of getting something. And, and so uh, we went out uh, early that Saturday morning, went into the blind real early, like 4 in the morning. It was dark outside, climbed in there. And uh, I sit down in my chair, and there's a chair for John. We're waiting in the blind, and John gets tired, throws his blanket down on the floor, and before long, he's... Long story short is, I let him sleep in. You know what we saw on Saturday? Nothing. We did see squirrels. We did see some hawks. Uh, we heard a lot of things. We didn't hear any deer, any doe. We didn't see nothing. So the, I was expecting Saturday night, you know, was going to be, you know, kind of one of those, you know, we, we big hunters, you know, kind of talks. Uh, but instead, that night, it was like, son, you, sometimes when you hunt, you just have to stick with it. And, you know, the deer don't, don't, don't just volunteer to give up their life for us. You know, they, you have to hunt them. That's why it's called hunting. It's not called harvesting until you've hunted. 
And anyway, so I gave him the pep talks, and he was discouraged. Well, I was really planning to go to church Sunday morning, but I have to confess, I skipped church the next morning because I was like, God, we gotta, you got to get this boy a, a deer, you know? So w- woke up real early again Sunday morning, got out in the blind, and, uh, and, and you know, no sooner had we gotten in, my son throws his blanket down on the floor, and you know what happens next, right? So I'm watching the sun come up. It's cold. And so I'm rubbing my hands together. I'm doing everything to stay warm. And, and I just prayed. I said, God, I just need a deer to come out and park itself at 50 yards. Broadside, please. And for this boy to get a deer. So I'm praying. And you think I'm, you think I'm joking, but I was praying, man. <laughs> And, and all of a sudden, I see something way up at about, uh, you know, 11 o'clock over here. And I look over, and, and I see something move, but I, I don't know what it is. It's way out, way, way out there. It's just this little white thing that moves every now and then. And I'm thinking, maybe it's a skunk. I don't know what it is. The sun isn't really up that much yet. Uh, and, but anyway, long story short is I keep watching this thing. And finally, I get to the point where I'm like, I'm pretty sure there's a deer making its way our way. So I, I quietly wake up my son. He takes his place in the chair. And uh, we get the rifle ready. And, uh, and so finally, I was like, okay, hey, that thing is a deer for sure. We got a deer coming in, man. And we're, you know, our hearts are like, dum, 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 dum. how many of you are deer hunters? You know what I'm talking about? Okay, so, so I say, all right, John, get on my lap here and get the rifle out the front and keep the safety on. And, and so uh, that deer comes down, and we can see it behind the brush. And I'm like, okay, God, all you have to do is send it right out here like I've asked. And you know what happens? It goes the other way. <laughs> Starts making its way back up the hill over here. And I'm like, oh, God, you're sending them in the wrong direction. And he makes his way back down. He comes way over here behind us. Makes his way up over here in the brush and kind of down in the gully over here. Finally makes his way from behind the brush. Comes out at 40 yards. Stands broadside. I whisper to my son, now's a good time to take the safety off. (laughs) So you hear click. And with that click, the deer just looks over kind of like saying, are you going to take the shot or not? My son takes the shot, and for you ladies, I won't go into too much detail, but he snaps the spine, the thing falls and dies instantly on the spot. Flops a time or two, he's done. So I tell my son, you know, we have to wait 30 minutes because this is what you do, because if you, you know, if it's not really dead and adrenaline kicks in and it'll take off running and we'll be chasing this thing for hours, and so we wait 30 minutes and after we're done, we come out and come up behind it and do the whole thing that we're taught to do as hunters, you know, it's, you got a bullet chambered and the safety's off and you poke the thing, make sure it's not going to get up and, you know, attack you or run off and, and everything was good, so we put it back on safety, long story short, take the bullet out, the whole deal, right? Take the pictures for Instagram and all the rest though this was before Instagram days. But uh, we take the pictures for sure. And, and, and so then begins the whole process of field dressing. How many of you know what field dressing is? All right, so the whole process of taking the guts out and this whole thing. And I told my son, if you kill the fish, you've got to clean the fish. If you kill the deer, you've got to clean the deer. And so all morning long, I mean, this would have taken me about 30 minutes, and I'd had it done. I had it in the back of the truck, and we'd have been, you know, taking care of the rest of it. It took us literally all day to clean that deer up. 
But finally in the evening, we have it hanging from a tree, and it's cooled enough because of the weather being so cold that we go ahead and skin it out. And we had gone with another father and another son. And let me just take a little rabbit trail and just say, this is another piece, a vital piece of doing life together with your son is involving other men in your son's life. Because you see, uh, even good dads need other men speaking into their son's life. And so doing things together isn't just father and son. That's an important part. But why not include an uncle? Why not include other men from the church? Get involved in one another's life and do life together. So, so we're there with another man and his, his son. And his name is Rick. And when John was all done, Rick, and he's a big guy, tall and strong, he says, Jonathan. And my son straightened up and says, yes, sir. You belong in the man club now. And I just want you to know what happened in that moment. The next oxygen full that my son took in was not air. It was oxygen for the soul. Because he knew he had what it takes to be a man. I'm just here to say that this first thing, it doesn't sound extremely spiritual, but let me tell you that that you can trace this theme throughout the entire Bible. There is this thing of doing life together. It starts even in Deuteronomy. The the Bible says in several places in Deuteronomy, when it's talking about the spiritual formation of your children, it says, when you wake up in the morning, impress these things on your children. When you lay them down at night, impress them on your children. We're talking about active, doing life together. When you're walking along the way, it says, in other words, when you're driving in your van and you're going uh, to school or you're coming back from the movies, you talk about these things, impress them on your, on your, on your kids' lives. There's this active uh, image that comes out. It's not just sitting around and learning these things in a faraway place we call the church. It starts in the family. So if you want to shape your son to be the man that he needs to be, start by doing things together. Now, let me just take a quick pause and talk to some of you ladies that are raising sons by yourself. Number one, let me just say thank you. It's not easy, but the most important thing you can do is recognize your limitation. As hard as you work and as much as you sacrifice, there's one thing no woman can do for a boy, and that is bestow masculinity. You can give love, and he needs it. He doesn't just need a man in his life. He needs a man and a woman in his life. That's why it's a husband and wife. Amen? The son is going to be harsh if he doesn't have the woman's tenderness. But you cannot bestow what you don't have. And you don't have masculinity. So, the way you overcome it is you get them involved in role rangers. You get other men involved in their life. And, and this can be a powerful, powerful influence. And I could go through the research and talk to you about that. But let me just say this. Involve other men in your life. Whether you're a single mom or whether you're a good intact family, your son needs a dad. And if the dad's not there, he needs the men. And if the dad is there, he still needs the men of the church. Amen? We need the family of Christ. So number one, if you want to raise your son to be the man that God's designed him to be, do things together. Play together. Can I get an Amen. Praise the Lord. Second thing, if you want to raise your son to be the man that God's designed him to be, you have to learn together. Can you say learn together? You see, if all you do is play, that will get old for everybody. And it will become empty. 
And there's a great connection between the playing together, the learning together, and the serving together, which we'll talk about here in a moment. But uh, these are all interrelated. But let's talk very quickly about learning. First off, how are we doing on time? Uh, We got plenty of time. He said I could go till one. (laughs) All right, so we're going to talk about learning really fast. But this is extremely important. If you want your son to be the man that God's designed him to be, he's got to learn some things. How many of you know this to be true? And it's more than just hunting and it's more than just golfing. It's more than just playing basketball, football and baseball and all the rest. Those are great. But there's deeper learning that has to happen. And it has to start with the queen of sciences. How many of you know what the queen of sciences is? See, hundreds of years ago, the Bible was referred to as the queen of science. Because it was the foundation of all knowledge. Scientists since then have tried to exclude the Bible and make science the arbiter of truth. But guess what? God is the arbiter of truth. Amen? Because he is capital T, truth. Amen? And so you start with the science, the the queen of science, God's word. Now I'm going to show you the most powerful thing you can do to influence your son spiritually. When I talk to men about being spiritual leaders, they break out into hives instantly. But it is so easy. I'm going to show you in the next three minutes how to take the first and most important step in shaping uh, your son to be the man that God has called him to be in this learning process. Can I do that? I'm going to need three volunteers, okay? So I'm going to volunteer a few of you. Do you mind helping me, young lady? Thank you. What's your name? I'm sorry? Imani? All right, Imani, come up here just a moment. You're going to be my daughter, Caitlin. All right, so you stand right here. All right. Ma'am, do you mind helping me? Yes. You'll be my wife. Is that okay? (laughs) What's your name? Katie. Katie, if you can... We're sitting at a round table here, so you're going to take... Tell you what, you take that place right there, and you take that place right there. Perfect. All right, now I need my son, John. Who can help me out? Young man, you mind helping me? Yeah, come up here. Very good. Come up here. What's your name? I'm sorry? David? Perfect. All right, you stand right there. We're actually at a, at a round table. All right, come over here. Just We're family. You don't have to. I won't bite too bad. <laughs> okay, what I'm going to show you is how to have family devotions. This is so easy and so powerful. In our family, uh, we all have our own Bible. Mine's black because I was raised believing that men have black Bibles. Don't ask me why. It's just what I came to understand. So I have a black Bible. My son can't have a black Bible because it's all color coordinated. So he can't have black. So he has blue. All right. You okay with that? Okay. My daughter has a fuchsia Bible and she's got it bedazzled. It's really cute. Okay. So she has hers. And my wife has a red one because women like red Bibles. So I'm told. So everyone quickly, we get, we get up to upstairs at 630 sharp. Can I get a witness? Because bus shows up at 6.50. So at 6.30, we're there and we have cereal. We're a white American family and we believe in Kellogg's. Can I hear someone say amen? You know, I was raised on pancakes and all these other good things, but I raised my kids on Kellogg's. So everyone grabs their Kellogg's and we're spooning it in as fast as we can, right? And by 6.40... I tell Caitlin, because she's closest to the Bible, grab the Bibles, and they're color-coordinated, and everybody gets their Bible. I open the Bible, and wherever we happen to be reading, I read two verses. 
Then my son reads two verses, my daughter reads two verses, my wife reads two verses. I read two verses. And we do this until we finish the chapter. You know how long it takes to read the average chapter in the Bible? About three minutes. Did you realize that? It is that fast. So usually we read one chapter, sometimes we'll read two. After we're done, I'll turn to my son and I'll say, Hey, Jonathan, in this case, David, did anything that we read stand out to you? And he'll say, Yes, Dad, because he's told you will find something. It's not optional. (laughs) And he tells me, I found that verse 6 was really good. It spoke to me, and he'll tell us why. And if he wants to, he can reread that verse to us or reread the phrase that really stood out. And my daughter does the same, my wife does the same, and then I do the same. And then when we're done, we're usually about seven or eight minutes into this process. We're down to the last couple minutes. We grab the Bible. My daughter puts them back over where they belong. We get up. We won't do this part because you probably don't want to do group hug with me. But I'll do group hug. We'll, we'll all, you know, I grab everybody by the neck and I smack my son. You mind if I slap you on the face a few times? I got to demonstrate. I'll do it gently. Slap him on the face a few times. Get my daughter and we all come in for a big group hug and I pray for them. And I don't just say, God help us have a good day. Amen. I mean, I pray for them. And so it only takes about 30 seconds to have a good, profound prayer. And with that, we say, Amen. And guess what they do? They immediately run over. They've already got their backpacks over there by the school, you know, by the door for the school bus, and they're off. Of course, now they're a little older and they're driving themselves everywhere they go. So it's a little different. But do you see how fast that is and how powerful it can be? Would you give my three volunteers a big round of applause? Thank you for helping me. You may take your places. I don't feel as homesick now that I had my family up here with me. Thank you. But I just want to tell you, this, you do this every day. Our goal as a family was five times a week. Sometimes we couldn't do it five times a week. Sometimes it was three. Sometimes it was one. But we try to do it five times a week, and sometimes we can do it more. But you know what? In all of these years, these 18 years with my family, we have almost read the Bible two times together, all the way through. So our goal is to finish up the last little bit. Uh, Admittedly, the second time we skipped over, uh, or I should say the first time we skipped over like Leviticus and a few places that were really dry. But, but this, is where, this is where the spiritual foundations of your, your family begin, is right there. You don't have to have a degree in theology to do this. All you have to have is a Bible. Now, there's a lot more that you've got to cover. I have a whole teaching that I do on this about uh, how to help your sons believe the right things, your daughters to believe the right things, practice the right things, and, and to gain the context of a biblical worldview. Uh, the bottom line, what I'm, what I'm saying is that learning has to start with the queen of science, which is the Bible. It can't stop there, though. Because, you see, uh, you, you've got to go beyond the Bible. The Bible speaks to everything. My daughter wants to be a school teacher. And guess what? The Bible talks about influencing the next generation, does it not? And so we, we go to the Bible and we talk about, hey, being a good school teacher and how to influence the next generation. My son wants to be a, 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 a politician. I'm, I'm stuttering here because I, I'm always a little leery uh, to admit that. But he wants to be a Christian politician. Is that a conflict of terms? I think not. 
But uh, so the Bible talks about justice. I mean, I remember my son says, the Bible talks about politics? And I says, you better believe it does. So we went and started looking at the Old Testament and all the, ta- all the things and themes of justice and treating the poor and, and leaders who are tyrannical. And we went through. So the point is, everything that your kids ever dream of doing and being, the Bible discusses. So you have to, you have to go into their areas of learning and, and learn with them these other things. It can't just be exclusive to the Bible, but the Bible speaks into all of those things. So if you want to invest in your son so he becomes the man that God's designed him to be, you play together, you learn together, and third and finally, you serve together. And this is very simply this, serve together. (laughs) So I would just encourage you, Involve your son, involve your daughter and, and, and everything that you do here in the church, serve together. When you reach out into the community, serve together. When you go out to the, to the soup kitchen to, to serve at Thanksgiving time, take your kids. It's okay, get out there with them, serve together. Because when you do that, what happens is this, is this amazing thing. Kids move from self-centered to other-centered. But they won't get that if they hear about it. But they will get it if they're doing it with you. So, these are the three foundational elements. Let me just talk very quickly about our daughters and then we'll quit. Can I take a moment and do this? I told you that your son has a fundamental question. Do I have what it takes to be a man? That's his question. And in this process of playing together, learning together, serving together, he's coming to the conclusion over time that he has what it takes to be a man. And he'll gain that confidence. And that confidence is born from relationship. But your daughter comes to you as a man with a very, very different question. Equally important, but it's different altogether because boys and girls are different as we've already discussed. Her foundational question, her fundamental question is this. Am I lovely? Another way to ask or to to phrase the question is, will I be chosen? Will someone come rescue me from this tower that I'm locked in? Will someone risk everything to come and choose me? You see, this sounds like a little bit of a contradiction, but women cannot bestow masculinity. And it's true that men cannot bestow on girls femininity. That comes from mom. Amen? Praise God. But her identity as a woman also comes from dad. Will I be chosen? She takes that question to dad. And so I just want to say to you men, as you invest in your sons, invest in your daughter, and and you can do these same things, you play together, you learn together, you serve together, but the play is very, very different because she's a girl. So you know what? You might just have to watch a few TV programs you would much rather not watch. You might have to learn a few things about, you know, clothing that you would rather not. You might have to spend a little time walking with her in the mall when you would much rather be doing something else like watching football. But when you do, she begins to realize, the man in my life has chosen me. I didn't just get born into this family. Dad has chosen me. I'll never forget, I come home one night and I can hear my daughter just weeping in her room. Weeping. So I go and I, I go up to the door and I'm listening. And I can tell my wife is in there. So I'm not sure if I should 
go in or not, but I decide I'll go ahead and tap on the door, and I do. They say, come in. So I open the door, and I walk in, and my daughter is down on the floor. She's down there just sobbing. She's got her pillow, and she's holding on to it. And my wife is right next to her. And I say, what's wrong? And I sit down next to my daughter, and I hug her. The dog has killed my chickens. This is the third time. And she is just crushed. You want to know what my first question was? I didn't say it out loud, thank God. My first question was, did you shut the coop up right? (laughs) I'm glad I didn't ask that question. Instead of trying to gather the facts. I went for her heart. And I'm so thankful I got it right for once. I just said, baby, it's okay. We'll get new chickens. No one will be like Lucky. (laughs) This is a true one. No one will be like Teriyaki. (laughs) But go for her heart. Isn't that what God does for us? And when you think about it, the, the verse in, in Mark chapter 3 and verse 14 finishes by saying that he might be with them and send them out to preach. In other words, he says he, he's hanging with them and he's sending them out to be part of his mission, to serve. And in the middle is this learning process. This is how discipleship is done in the home. This is how discipleship is done in the church. I've watched this in Pastor Dow and the men that he's invested in that I run into all over the place. He's with them. He hunts with them. He's teaching them. They're serving together. This is not isolated. If you want to invest in people, this is a simple, simple model. And I would just like to invite you to recognize that this is also the way God relates to us. He comes into our life and he hangs with us. He walks with us. He teaches us, and we become servants with him in his harvest field. Amen? Would you bow your heads, and we're going to close in prayer in this very, very simple way. God has called me and Carrie to, to minister to men and boys around the world, and, and I'm here this morning very simply to say, will you send us? Number one. Number two, I'm here to simply ask if you will invest in the boys and the girls here. There are needs Many, many needs and many ways to invest. And I would encourage you to ask Pastor Dow how you can best invest. But I would encourage, we as a body, everyone needs to be involved in giving to the next generation. Thirdly, I would just like to say this. Where are your sons and daughters? And right now where you're at, wherever, whatever the answer to that question is, would you just take a moment right now where you're at, and we're just going to finish by interceding for our sons and daughters. Would you just do that? Would you just close your eyes right now where you're at and just say, you know, call them out by name. And like, God, right now, John is at church this morning. They're in Springfield. I pray right now, Heavenly Father, that you would just minister to him. Lord, you know the needs in his life. You know what he needs. Lord, I pray right now, the prayer I have been praying his whole life, that that girl that you have for him, that you would protect her as well. I pray also for Caitlin. She's at church. Minister to her needs and her future husband as well. And I just want to encourage you right now, would you just take a moment and would you just intercede for your son and your daughter? And if you have a son or daughter that's fallen away from the Lord, I would just encourage you 
pray for them. And it's not too late to play together, learn together, and serve together. Heavenly Father, right now, there are any children here that have fallen away from you that you would use the parents right now to come into their life and minister to them right where they're at. I pray in the name of Jesus. Draw them back to you. In the name of Jesus, I pray. We love you and thank you that we get to be partners with you in taking the gospel to the ends of the earth. Praise the Lord. Thank you for listening to audio from Christian Heritage Church located in Tallahassee, Florida. Feel free to give copies of this message to others, but do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way without permission. For more information about Christian Heritage Church, please visit us online at chctoday.com. 